Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello and welcome to Homo Sapiens episode 2. Hello. My name is Christopher Sweeney. My name is Will Young and may I start by saying thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> For <laughs> turning up. <laughs> You've been in France, I've been in Turkey. When well, I was on my juice diet. Um, um, speak on dear friend. Wouldn't recommend it. Mm-hmm. No, it was what was it, detox? It was a four-day juice detox. Continuing on a detox, why were you smoking in a bush when we spoke on the phone? Because <laughs> I was going crazy. Everyone, everyone um, at the hotel was like, there's a fire in the bush! It's been a good week. It's been an amazing oh, week. Honestly, I think for us to get... We got into top five, didn't we? Top, of, no, of, number four. Number four. Mm. Um, the iTunes podcast chart. And I do think for a LGBT podcast to be top four first week. I just think it's so cool. So we want to say thank you to everyone who listened, subscribed and rated and reviewed us, commented, can't say it enough. Please continue to rate and review. We had an amazing comment on our thing, which was this guy who said, I listened to this on the way home on the tube and I cried because I wish I'd had this as a kid. And what we'd like to do is be able to create something with each episode of this that young people out there can listen to and feel that there are other people going through the same things as them. Coming up this week on Homo Sapiens, Will has lunch with the singer and songwriter John Grant. He's a fascinating person. He's American. He's more famous here in the UK. And he lives in Iceland. The country, not the supermarket. I saw him on Jules Holland. Just his lyrics are just so honest. Kind of like really beautifully poetic and also conversational. I do feel like we as gay men, all of us, have never really felt like we could complain about anything or talk about what we're actually dealing with because it would always be used against us to say, see, we told you it doesn't work. Oh, he did this gig at Royal Festival Hall. The best gig I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. Everyone was in tears. I mean, it was just like, I felt like I'd had this sort of decibels of sound and emotions just thrown at me for an hour and a half. And it was it was a proper spiritual experience. He isn't afraid of anything or telling anyone anything. And he said this amazing thing. People ask me, aren't you afraid to be so open about everything? And I'm like, no, because I'm searching for connections and I get connections by doing this. Announced that he was HIV positive on stage with Hercules in a love affair. And one of the things I love about him, and one of the things I loved about your conversation with him, is 
this is a man who didn't get interviewed about being HIV positive because the world has moved on and he's progressive and he is someone who lives with it and manages it, but it doesn't define him. And that for people out there and people I know who have HIV, to have role models like that, I think is great. He's basically super cool. I think everyone should listen to him talk because I think everyone would glean some wisdom. He also, well, he didn't write the theme tune for Homo Sapiens. He wrote the song and then we stole it and then he gave us permission. He really kindly gave us permission. Yeah, yeah, that Um, is very kind. Snug Snacks, very, very good song. Please check it out. What he says about his addiction to Amazon, it was like seeing myself before me. It was hilarious. As someone who is pretty well behaved, but has a real Amazon problem. It made me feel really good. That means I don't have to give up my Amazon addiction. Obviously, that's why he's amazing. Sometimes I order things like a tin opener on Amazon just because I know I'll be really happy to get a parcel. That's why I ordered picture hooks the other day. (laughs) Two days ago, I ordered picture hooks Mm. and 10 bags of compost. (laughs) Really? It's Yeah. But the thing is, I felt bad because it went... I wasn't in, so my neighbour who's not elderly, but she's in her 70s. She's like, I've just lugged it all into your shed. She's 75. She's got a limp. I mean, she I said, she said, I almost broke my back. I said, you don't have to do this, Lindsay. Um, yeah, just buying things that you could just get at the shops. I hate shop- going into shops. I got told off the other day because I went to the... I went to the so can I just take you through this? Yes. So I love going to my local Waitrose. This woman came up and said, you shouldn't be in this queue. You've got more than five items and I have to go there to get my cigarettes I proper for some reason I must have been in a bad mood or probably I hadn't had nicotine recently I mean like I almost lost it I was like I've been in this queue for, for the last six months I've been coming here I didn't say that but it was kind of that into that yes. ferocity behind it yeah. you know, someone just told me in the first place then you wouldn't be in this mess and I was thinking <laughs> what the hell's going by on by which point you're on your knees and there's like the 10 people backed up behind me and I've got 50 items not 5 I said where else can I get my cigarettes she said you could go to the news agents I'm like good point <laughs> it's really weird I was in Tesco's I was talking to a friend this was years ago and I was saying oh no one recognises me anymore it's all bloody James Blunt has taken my thunders when James Blunt came out. I went to Tesco's, came back, my, my face was ashen. And Jamie, my friend Jamie Posner, said, what happened? And I was like, someone just came up to me in the frozen food aisle and asked me where she can get um, organic cashew nuts. She thought I worked there. And I was like, I'm famous. I'm not even famous anymore. You know, it was, it was awful. And I, I just told her, I said, I'll too. <laughs> Do you remember when we were in Italy in that restaurant having dinner? <laughs> these people behind us were sort of looking over at our table and we were like, oh God, poor Will's been spotted. And it's going to be a hassle. Poor man's just trying to have a relaxing holiday. And the man leant over and, and said something to you and you went, yes, I am a pop singer. And he went, no, could I have a cigarette? It's like that thing from Bridget Jones, and that happens, doesn't it, in the restaurant? <laughs> it does actually it? happens in Bridget Jones. But don't you remember also then in the local town? No. I was joking, saying, oh, because I'd had a hit. Remember, I'd had a, I told oh, you yeah, I had yeah, a hit yeah. in Italy. Yeah. I'm the guy that would go on Italian, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Really? So everyone would be like, oh, whatever happened to Will Young? Oh, really? So I had this one hit, which is a big hit. Which song? Light My Fire. Oh. 
and I was joking, don't remember, I was saying, God, I'm going to get mobbed in this country. I'm going to get absolutely <laughs> mobbed because I had a hit 10 years ago. And then someone was driving through Gallipoli and shouted, ciao, Will. And I went, oh, God, see, guys, can't, can't go anywhere, can't go anywhere. And then we got back to the house and it was, it was the housekeeper and her <laughs> husband. I'm like, Will, you saw you in the town. I was going, shut up, shut up, shut up. Stop it. Big news of our launch week and last week was it was the 50 year anniversary of the decriminalisation of homosexuality, non? Oui, je pense c'est ça. Although not everybody felt that it was big news, Peter Tatchell posted a piece. The title was, I'm just Googling it now. Don't fall for the myth that it's 50 years since we decriminalised homosexuality. In fact, gay laws were enforced more aggressively by the state after it was passed. He was sort of pointing out the fact that new research revealed that an estimated 15,000 plus gay men were convicted in the decades that followed the 1967 liberalisation. Not only was homosexuality only partly decriminalised by the 1967 Act, but the remaining anti-gay laws were policed more aggressively than before. And he feels that only really in 2013 were all anti-gay laws removed from all legislation across the UK. So we've come a long way, but we have very far to go. As Donald Trump's ban on trans people in the military has proved. He's such a dick, isn't he? He's a dick. Interesting that that's happened on the international stage on the other side of the Atlantic. Well, it's been, a, I think, a brilliant week. And actually, all in all sort of mediums, I think there's been really fascinating programmes. There was an amazing one on HIV on Channel 4. I watched that. It was really moving. Paula Grady, I thought, was particularly amazing on it. I suppose I slightly missed that time because I was... I mean, I remember AIDS, but I was sort of six or seven. And it was really moving. And there's been some great stuff on the BBC as well. Really interesting. Almost like the anniversary has been a good excuse to have all this kind of, for me, relearning of things. Yeah. Or learning of things that I didn't know anything about. Yeah, I think there's an assumption that we know everything by being part of the LGBT community and there's a lot you don't. And it's nice to learn, listen and read and... I've been on holiday. We'll come on to my tan later. Very brown. Deep chestnut, I'd say. (laughs) And I was reading the book Queer London, and it was really interesting saying that prior to sexual acts between men being outlawed in 1885, prior to that, there was a lot more sexual fluidity in terms of how you dressed. Um, Men would dress as women, women would dress as men, and there was a lot more fluidity between sexuality of men sleeping with women and things. So... You know, we talk about its 50-year anniversary and, oh, since... But actually, this is a moment in time. And a long time ago, things were a lot more fluid, according to this book, which I find really interesting. And I think the Donald Trump thing about banning trans people in the armed forces just feels like such a step back. And it's a real shame. You know, we've started this podcast around the 50-year anniversary because it is a milestone in a journey and there's lots to be discussed mm. lots to be done but lots has also been achieved and just to look around and see are we are we are things getting better yeah that's really interesting actually because I sort of think back to the Spartans mm. or the Greek times mm. and everyone was shagging everyone mm. they didn't care I mean Spartans like the deadliest armies of just men they would brush each other's hair and rub each other down with oil the night before well speaking about my holiday in France actually <laughs> <laughs> 
So I'm on my way to uh, have lunch with John Grant. I'm very excited. Coming up now is Will's conversation with the musician John Grant. And it really does feel like you're having lunch with them. So if you want the full experience, I suggest putting on your headphones and having some food while you listen. What should we eat? Burgers. He's a really interesting man. I love his music. He's been through a lot. He's very candid. Um, what are we going to eat? Who's going to pay for it? These are all the things that uh, are burning my mind at the moment. Now, how do I get into this place? We did do the interview in the no- quite the noisiest cafe that was there. There's a very loud coffee machine that literally does sound like it's an, an aeroplane. We're not on an airport. There isn't a jumbo jet taking off. I really liked it because I felt like I was like at the table having lunch with you. Hello, it's Will Young. I'm here to have lunch with John Grant, please. Oh, let me in. They're letting me in. Yeah, so where were you? I don't know. We were someplace in Soho. It was very 1920s, lying on a daybed. Painted picture, hang on. Yeah, we were on a daybed. Oh, I saw you in a white cafe. No, no, I was in a white caftan. Um, um, we, were, we were in this sort of back room. I mean, it's a bit like an opium den, to be honest. Oh. Maybe it was an opium den. I just had herbal tea. Hello. Even though I know him, I'm a big fan of his music. Yeah. So it's sort of hard to not be, just sort of monitor myself. I'm not being sycophantic. And I actually mm. genuinely think that people need to know who he is. Yeah. Because he is quite a remarkable man. Can I get a flat white, please? Sure. Thank you. So, here's Will with John Grant. You know what always happens to me when I finally start enjoying myself on stage? No. I forget that there's a microphone there, and it hits me in the head. And then, and then I wake up as if out of a dream. I always go, you know, like this. And, of course, the whole audience is, like, watching you, and they're, and they're like... <laughs> Because it hap- I get lost in the song, and then the microphone hits me in the forehead, and then I'm... <laughs> Why? How does it hit you in the forehead? I've done the teeth. Because I'm, because I'm moving my head around, and I forget that it's there. You know, I'm, like, sitting at the piano, and, like, moving my head around, and I forget, okay, and then it's okay, like... Okay, and then okay. I headbutt the microphone, <laughs> and, it just, and it always scares the shit out of me, because I forgot it was there, and forgot where I was, you know, at all. And it is so humiliating, because I know somebody... And I don't even bother looking at the audience because I'm like, oh, fuck. Do you look at the audience? I do. Do you? The thing is, if you look at somebody, they immediately look away. They feel uncomfortable. If you do eye contact with the audience, they don't look back at you. They go. They immediately look away because it's embarrassing for them or feels uncomfortable. That's an interesting phenomenon. Mm, me too. You would think that people would want you to have eye contact with them, but they don't. I yeah. can't look people in the eyes because mm. I'm so nosy. I start thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, and, and I forget my words. Or I'll start thinking, oh boy, I sure would like to fuck that, or have that fuck me, or you know, and 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 it's like I don't need to see your beauty right now because I'm trying to sing a song here. I want to talk to you about beauty. Oh boy. I know. I'm really interested in what you think beauty is. Well, for me, I mean, for me, it's an it's obsession. In your songs, aren't yeah, yeah. It's in my songs. I think for me, it's an obsession because I feel like. If I'm accepted by beautiful things or by beautiful people, then that means, means that I'm beautiful. And I've always felt very ugly and, and unattractive and, and, and undesirable. And so I hate to admit it, but I, I feel like if I'm with somebody who I consider to be physically perfect, then that will mean that I'm beautiful too. 
that's sort of the mechanism that's going on inside of me, but I fight against it by simply ignoring it, sort of. So like a and not making my decisions yeah. based on that. Yeah. I don't indulge it, you know. But I have. You know, people who are constantly being told that they're beautiful, it's very difficult for them, I think, also. I mean, I, I don't feel sorry for them, and I resent you, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, it must be very difficult to gauge people's motives, because you're always, I mean, you're always welcome everywhere. Yes. With, you're always received with a smile, and everybody wants to be your friend, and everybody wants to be around you. You're a fucking celebrity. If you're beautiful, you're a celebrity, whether you work at a gas station or you're a superstar. And I always think about, you know, my motives. I think about my motives. It's like, are you talking to this person because you want to be near their beauty, or you actually have something to say and you're interested? So I, I check myself. As I, you know, as I get older and as I realize, you know what, you're getting, you're getting yourself into all sorts of situations and your motives are not, it's not fair to them and it's yeah. not fair to you. I'm so happy you said that and I think that's quite a hard, it was a hard thing for me to grasp. Someone said to me, a psychiatrist, he said there's a difference between charm and seduction. Yeah. And I would... My motives would be to seduce the person. I had it actually recently. Beautiful guy. Oh my god, man. I've just been staring at this photo occasionally. I'm <laughs> like, how can you be so beautiful? Yeah, it's absurd. And I suddenly thought, I checked, I checked myself and I was like, you just want to shag him. You are not interested in anything I say. And, and he's not really rocking your world as a character. That's unfair. Because you're now going to, in the past, I'm going to try to do anything. Yeah. To, Hit that shit in exactly, and that's not pure. No, and plus, basically, what you're doing is you're saying, I have a high tolerance for inappropriate behavior, so that I can be next to this beautiful thing. Or if they turn like, in, in the case that they turn out to be an asshole, you're still sticking around because of the beauty. And basically, what you're saying to yourself is, you're not worth shit. You're willing to put up with all this nasty behavior just to be around this, and that's not going to work for me either. That mustn't ever be the motive. It can't be. Food has arrived. What did you get? Thank you, Fiona. Is that salmon? I've got tuna. Ah. I don't know what the jelly is. Fee, would you get me, um, may I kindly and humbly ask you to get me a, a Diet Coke? I wanted to say something er, uh, in response. You said... You said one mustn't confuse what with what? The psychologist was telling you? Yeah, he said there's a huge difference between charm and seductiveness. Yeah, and I wanted to say, and don't forget, there's a gigantic difference also between intimacy and intensity. Mm, my God. That's another important distinction. I found it incredibly hard and probably still do a little bit. I do, I do. <laughs> um, so, um... To let my system know the difference between the two, because intensity for so long has been love, I thought. And then you're like, how can I love so many people all at once, every day? Hmm, maybe this isn't, you know. That's making me think of love addiction, and I don't think people ever talk about that. No, they don't, but I have that. Hmm, for sure. People don't think it exists. How did you realize? Thank you. May I ask you to hand me that glass? <laughs> yeah, and kindly and humbly. Thank you. I'll leave the rest of that feeling. Wonderful. Mm. Yeah, how did you... I've known about it for a long time. But in the, when, I, when I went through that relationship that I wrote two albums about, 
I knew that I had hardcore love addiction, and I read books about it. There's this book by Pia Melody. Hello. Facing love addiction. Oh my God, changed my life. Amazing. And what about the book The Intimacy Factor from Pia Melody? Also amazing. Amazing. That woman, she's also as camp as anything, which I quite like. She's what? As camp as anything. Is she? You see her on YouTube. She's kind of stern in quite a camp way. Is she like a nurse diesel from High Anxiety? <laughs> I didn't know that. You're going to have to look. Oh, right. Okay. You're going to love that. Um, and how did you work through that? when you read that book well I'm just now getting to the meat I mean I wasn't really able to internalize what I was reading I just completely recognized myself in the pages and it was comforting for me to know that there was some understanding somewhere for what I was going through but it was also hard to read I mean the intimacy factor as well I read it on the airplane coming to London and I just felt like somebody beat the shit out of me and I thought about all the mistakes I've made in relationships and how I've given people too much power and how I've worshipped people and obsessed over their beauty and totally, you know, had a high tolerance for inappropriate behavior because I didn't think I deserved better and let people rule my life and, you know, shit all over myself, you know, and, and it makes me sad, <laughs> you know, yeah. that it took me so fucking long to wake up. It's, it's, it's interesting hearing you say that because I, what, what would I call it? in a press way, the highlights of your journey, mm. you know, I think it is massively inspiring. Thank because you. Because your candor is, and your ability to be vulnerable, you know, with no agenda, right. is what so few people do. In the gay community, it's not necessarily considered to be a good thing to do either. I think so. It feels like it. I mean, in certain... Like coffee you, you coffee machine, not, not aeroplane taking off. Yes, coffee machine. <laughs> From the boudoir. No, there's this little old woman sucking, <laughs> sucking the remainder of her chocolate shake in the corner. And she really wants to get every last bit. Go away, old woman. Go away. <laughs> yes. Throw something Where did you get that shake anyway? You didn't buy that here. You can't drink that here. You're so weird. <laughs> um... No, I think there's a group that, you know, hate what they consider to be self-loathing gays. You know, they just say, you've heard, you must have heard this before, like, fuck off, you self-loathing gays, and... Oh, really? Gay people who are very confident in their beauty and their gayness who think, you know, men who... There's definitely that. Um, have you heard about my new, beer we- my new beard wax? I have this beard wax that smells like pine. Like you've been around a campfire in the forest, and it's called John Grant's Self-Loathing Gay Beard Wax. Um, Is this forest Frolic Pine. Uh, are you joking? I'm not kidding. Shit. I'm selling it at my shows. No way. Mm-hmm. No it is called that. way. Yeah. Mm. I always wanted to do a aftershave called Back Alley Boy, um, mm. and like, I just thought the advert would be hysterical. So, do you think those people that you know, oh, you self-loathing gay, get over yourself, or whatever. Are they like... Like, shut the fuck up and get over yourself and just deal with it, you know that? Are they the beautiful ones? Because there's a lot of different groups in the gay community. Exactly. Which... And there's no... And there there often has felt like there's no solidarity. So I like the fact that people like Matthew and Todd are coming out with these books. Because, you know, I do feel like we as gay men, all of us, have never really felt like we could complain about anything or talk about what we're actually dealing with because it would always be used against us to say, see, we told you it doesn't work. Ah. We told you that wasn't normal and these problems that you're... And we believe it. Because you're abnormal. Because you're abnormal. Of course we have these problems because those are human problems. Oh, yeah. How's your burger? Well, (laughs) 
it was quite delicious. I sort of inhaled it. I guess I must have been really hungry, Fee. Mm. 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 Thumbs up. Love some light. That light. It's beautiful light. Is is that woman's back? Smack her, Fee. Smack her. Do you have things? Do you sit and think? Sometimes I call them Oscar-winning Oscar speech, acceptance speech moments, or like for Grammys mm -hmm. or Oscars, depending on my mood. Yeah, I'm not picky. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I'll sit there and I'll write a song, and I literally I can go from A to Z, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm accepting the Grammy. Yes. <gasps> oh yeah. my god, and then I have to like rein myself right yeah. back. Yeah. To ground zero. Yeah. yeah. Do you have like? expectations every time a record comes out or... No, I don't. I really have no idea what's going to happen. Well, I mean, I've never thought that I was going to win a Grammy because of anything. Except maybe, I thought maybe Glacier could be recognized for... I think that's a, a really relevant song that I needed and that maybe we needed. Does that, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. But no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. You know, I, I feel happy that I wrote that song, you know? Because I think that metaphor is a really good one. Yeah, it is. It's you know? <laughs> hey. And it really you know, works. When it's good, it's good. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I do have, you know, I do feel proud of that one. And I do fa have fantasies about winning a Grammy because I get a lot more attention in Britain than I do in the States. So I, I sort of have a little chip on my shoulder about, you know, wanting to be accepted by my own people or recognized, you know? Does that upset you? Um, I think it, you know, I think it gets to me sometimes when I go home and people are like, oh, this is my brother, they really like him in Europe, you know, just that sort of thing, like, you know, like, he's doing his little music thing and they sort of get it somewhere, but, you know, he's obviously not a, you'll, you'll never have heard of him because he's not known here because, you know, it, it really gets to you sometimes, it, it can. Yeah. On a bad day, it's sort of like, well, it's like, bitch, I'm having dinner with Elton John tonight. <laughs> you should you, say that. You know? And then hit him. <laughs> exactly. Just say that. Um, but is it those things that just, because of the job? Insecurities, I think, for someone who does a job where they are in touch with an audience, those insecurities on a bad day yeah. can be like, poof. Oh, yeah. I call them kidney punches. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And they are kidney punches. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's just because you just feel like people are sort of belittling you, like sort of like you're, but this isn't necessarily true. Some of this is the stuff that you bring to it because your own insecurities. And sometimes it's true when you, you do meet assholes who say things that get under your skin, you know, yeah, but I mean, this country has produced most of the music that has changed my life. So yeah, tell, tell me about that because I was really interested in, you know, you at school and you were talking about the kids that would come in, you know, listening to New Order and yeah. Is it Susie and the Banshees or people, and that they could dress up and be like that, but you couldn't because you were out or obviously gay or, or yeah, because because my parents didn't want me doing that, and that was punishment at home for looking like that, and then it wasn't accepted in school. That was choosing to fight every day, you know, choosing to get into um, you know being called a faggot every day and being you know a lot of hatred thrown at you every day, and I didn't want my parents questioning why I was getting that type of attention because it would have been a, a big problem for my parents to become aware that that's what people thought of me because then they would question me. They wouldn't protect me. They would say, what are you doing to provoke this? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -mm -mm. Which is evil. Mm -mm -mm. And to feel that. 
I don't want to say my parents were evil. I don't. I think they did the best they could, but it feels evil that you can't go to them for support when the world says fuck you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Did music? Did music? Was there solace in music? It was, but you know, when people found out what you were listening to, that meant you were a faggot too. Sure, if you were into Depeche Mode, they were all faggots, right? Yeah. Which they weren't. <laughs> you know. Nobody knew what they were talking about. And after Half school, after school, when did you go to Germany? Were you 18? It was like between 19 and 20. To study languages? Mm-hmm. And did you know that's what? I, mean, I was really I, good I at it, that, and so yeah. I thought, oh, that's what I'll do. Because I, I did a, like a, like a six-week course, like language course for college in Germany. And I passed, you know, I got top marks. And, um, and why Germany? Because I was listening to Nina Hagen, and I wanted to learn German because I thought it was super cool, and you know. What was, what was that period like for you, being in Germany? It was, it was the darkest. It was the darkest time. Was it? Yeah. So from nineteen. I I just went back into a little religious, into a little, like joined a religious group. I actually went to a couple of conferences for like overcoming gayness, you know. And that was the only way for me to like deal with my parents was to, you know, it's like, well, we still love you, but you need, there has to be healing. You know? But I met some really wonderful, wonderful people during that time. It wasn't all horrible. But I, I, my anxiety levels were out of control. Like depression and fear and anxiety through the roof, like horrible panic attacks, like crippling panic attacks started in Germany. So it was, it was dark. And I, I remember just becoming totally agoraphobic and, you know, brutal winters in Germany and I'd have no lights on in my room and the windows open in the middle of winter and just, you know, frightened out of my mind. How long did that last for? It lasted for years. It lasted for... How did you operate? Like How did you... I just... I don't know. I don't know how I functioned. Yeah. I, I, I stopped doing everything. I stopped going to classes. There wasn't really anything that I could do without having crippling panic attacks that made me feel like I, it, was, it felt like I was going to die, you know. But you never did die. You wished that you would die, but you wouldn't ever. You'd just get to that level 600 and then just stay there for an hour. And you wouldn't pass out, and you wouldn't die, and you wished that you would have, you know. And then I noticed that when I was starting to go back to the States, it was following me back there. And then I started to have these attacks just sitting with my own family. You know, it was going into every area of my life. I thought, it's just being here. And then I'd go back and sit with my mom and dad, and I'd be okay, but no, I wasn't anymore. And that scared the shit out of me. And what age were you then? Yeah, like 25, 24. You know, from, from like 23, 24, 25, 26, that time, it was just... That's why I talk about adrenaline fatigue, because I was in fight-or-flight mode 24-7. Yeah. 
And that's the PTSD, yeah. PTSD yeah. thing well, that's what we're talking about. This is what I really wanted to talk, talk to you about because I never hear anyone talk about it. And it, it's so nice to hear you say fight or flight. It's like, oh my God, someone knows, someone is talking about it. It's and nice, isn't it? Because I haven't really heard people talk about it either. It's, it's, it's so... Slash anyone. Well, yeah. When you were talking, I was, I was related so much because I had agoraphobia. You know, I couldn't leave the house. Dissociation, complete fear. And you know, you were saying you go up to sort of six thousand. Yeah. And it goes on for an hour. And it just stays My there. God, and I just wanted. Like your body's shutting down. Yeah. It just makes me wish that more people knew about it. I suppose. And, yeah. And it's. I'm just glad I fucking know about it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, is it making I mean, life easier? Yeah, it does. It does. But I mean, it's a long process coming out of that, as you know, and it's with you forever. Yeah. It's never going to be over. You you spend the rest of your life dealing with that, and but you get much better tools to deal with it, and that's what we're dealing with here. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. We're talking about getting tools with which to actually live your life. Yeah, spotting, to some extent. Spotting triggers. Yes, yeah, spotting the triggers yeah. of which there seem to be six trillion. Shit me. You know, every day. It's, it's oh, like, by the way, I'm a 12-year-old right now. Uh, yeah, Because I've just regressed again. I know. Yeah, you're talking to a 12-year-old, basically. And it's... Yeah. Because you're like, am I ever going to fucking be living in the adult world? Yeah, but you know what? Once anyone has opened that can of worms, wherever the awful word journey takes you, the connection that I find talking to you, yes. talking to other people in groups... Yes is worth its weight in gold. Absolutely, and it saves your life. Thing. Absolutely. Totally agree. I, I, I do agree. I mean, the time in Germany makes me cringe when I think about how horrible that was. But I wouldn't change anything. Because, you know, people ask me, aren't you afraid to be so open about everything? And I'm like, no, because I'm searching for connections. And I get connections by doing this. I'm not just, I, I don't think that I'm up here helping other people. I'm getting connections to people who help me. And the fact that people say my music helps them, well, that's a huge bonus. I'll just have to take your word for it. If yeah. You, if you say that, you know, I believe you and I take it with humility and, you know, I'm very grateful to hear stuff like that. But I'm the one that's being helped is what I feel like a lot of the time. Well, where are you getting connections? Does it come from the most surprising places? Well, people like you. Yeah. Will Young. My peers here in England. And also more open dialogue with people in my past who always loved me and had no idea what I was going through. As an observer, I've noticed that the amount of people that you work with who are kind of have been champions of yours from that first album mm. is amazing. Tracy. Tracy Thorne. Alison Goldfrapp. Alison Goldfrapp. Kylie Elton. Kate, Kate LeBond. Oh, yeah. Oh, another hero. I will not rest until I see you sing with Kate Bush. I'm just going to put that out there. Sorry. Yeah, that, I don't know if I would survive that. I have a sense it might happen, but yeah. you, perhaps you might explode. And I might explode, and if I were able to sing, if I were able to, ever able to sing with Elizabeth Fraser, I probably would have to be scooped up. The, the King's Men wouldn't be able to put them back together again. You know? Collaborations are not easy. I think to collaborate with people, talk about intimacy. You know, one of my one of my favorite people in the world, Miss Allison Goldfrapp, she came to Iceland to write with me, and I totally blew it. I couldn't. 
Right. I, I wasn't able to be in the situation. I mean, granted, I, I brought it on myself because I, I thought maybe I would only ever have one chance to do this. So the fact that the timing was bad and I was in the middle of writing my own album hmm. didn't give me pause, as it immediately should have. Hmm. It was not the right time for me to do that. Hmm. And uh, she came up, and she was lovely, and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't think of anything. I think, you know, if I just sat down at the piano, which is, I think, what she wanted, mm. just sit down and do what I know how to do, instead of trying to be her or be Will from, you know, Goldfrapp and yeah. do what they do, yeah. if I would have just done what I do, that's why she was there in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, yes, I do. I just can't, I can't forgive myself for that, but I must. She's very understanding. Yeah. Was very understanding about that. Like somebody who makes music for a living. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And knows what it's like to be there. And was very gracious, but I, I, boy, I put myself through the ringer over that one. Because I've been waiting for that moment my whole life. You know? You get, do you feel like a gay artist? Do you have a notion of being a gay artist? No. I, but I, I, I'm, I most certainly am. <laughs> you know, but, but I mean... Well, I, what it is to be... No, I don't think about that. I really don't. Because I can't really afford to think about it in those terms. Because it's, it's almost like you're being calculated or... Yeah. Or like, what my, my job is to go and be myself on stage. Now, I feel like I have had to talk about being gay because, you know, the issue was forced on me. I, didn't, I don't want to make a big deal about being gay, I just want to be me. And sometimes I feel like I actually succeed at that. Because my audience is extremely diverse. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. That feels like the greatest compliment in the world. Flat white guys. Oh, that's my right, guys. Yeah. Do you want to play that here for you? Well, um, just, just throw it over John if that's right. <laughs> 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 Would you please pour that into the crotch <laughs> of the young yes, man? Please pour it. Just, uh, no sugar. Um, okay. What's 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 happiness? What's happiness for you? Mm. What do you think happiness is? I'm I'm determined to turn you into my Svengali by the end of this. Oh, good. Well, let's see. <laughs> I think happiness is, you know, I don't want to, it's going to, I'm going to try and say it in a way that doesn't make me and all of you want to vomit. Mm. Um, I think that it's being awake for all of this. I think letting go is happiness. You're at death's door every day, you know, because you hear people talking about Orlando and saying, now we feel unsafe. It's like, I never fucking felt safe. You know, I never felt safe. And you know what? You weren't safe. You weren't ever safe. No matter what you were doing. And are you saying that as a gay man or just as, in human, as a human? Just as a human. Existence? Human. And I'm not arguing with anything either. I'm no. not saying this, you know, somebody has said something I disagree with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I just feel like, oh, I just, it just sounds so trivial. But um, being awake for today and not worrying about tomorrow, um, you know, being present in the moment. You know, making progress. Making progress is happiness. Mm. Not being stuck in the same place for your entire life. Which I thought was going to be the case with me. That's happiness. And, and being around for it. And being you know, having... Or here's, here's one for you. I think I'm just, you know, I'm thinking out loud at the moment, but self-awareness. Yeah. Having some self-awareness so that you can make progress. 
That's a big gift. Because Lord knows, I've been to places where it don't seem like there's much self-awareness going on. Was there a moment when you... Okay, so I'm going to tell you. Before I had my breakdown, which I love to tell everyone from the person in the corner shop to that old lady sucking her milkshake. Right. I had a breakdown, by the way, you know. I this cantaloupe very... reminds me of that time I had this breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had a breakdown? Didn't think so. Yeah. Cheers. Well, here's what it looks like. Now. <laughs> it was um, 1982. Yeah, exactly. My dog <laughs> just... was high. <laughs> Maya was close that summer. <laughs> yeah. um, so there was a moment when I thought, shit, fuck, I need to sort my life out. And, it, and I remember thinking, I think I said out loud, this is going to be horrific. Yeah. Did you have a turnaround moment? I think when I wanted, when I went into hospital wanting to commit suicide, or because I was scared of the extent to which I wanted to commit suicide, and that I felt like I couldn't communicate with people anymore. And and the and the, the thing that really killed me, that made that scared the shit out of me, was that I felt like I was broken beyond repair. That I couldn't ever learn to not function in a broken way. That's what made me want to kill myself. And I thought, I'm, before this happens, I'm going to get some help. Those thoughts are terrifying. They sort of slightly start to take over the chemistry and it's like, oh shit, okay, this is not good. The, the suicidal ideation, it's a lie. This, it's, it's a total lack of perspective is what it is. Mm. It's a lack of perspective and it's, I don't care whether it's self-pity. Usually it, there's some self-pity involved, but there's also, there's despair and a lack of perspective. The people I know that have done it, the thing that's made me sad is, oh my God, were they doing it in a lucid state? Or were they doing it in uh, a state that could have been sorted out? I don't think it's possible to do it in a lucid state. No, that's the thing, isn't it? And that, I think that's what's... I think that no matter how clearly you think you're thinking, that isn't ever the right decision. And that makes me sad. I know very rational people that have killed themselves, you know. Well, I think even if you're rational, you're still, you're still in a place where you lack perspective. So after yeah. that, and you went to hospital? Mm -hmm. That scared the shit out of me even more, because, you know, you're in some weird little craft class where you're meant to make a greeting card for, you know, with macaroni and, you know, glue and... And if you, you know, if you're not doing it right, you know, then ever, there's somebody, there's somebody monitoring the whole time. And if you don't, you know, participate, then your stay gets extended a few days. You know, that scared the shit out of me. I started thinking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I thought, look, all right, you're in a really, really shitty spot, but there's, there's a, there's a much worse place. Yeah. And you don't want to go there. <laughs> You know, we're, we're going to figure this out. You're going to get help, and, you know, let's not stay here, shall we? Did that move on to recognition of alcohol? No, that was after I was sober. Oh, that was it? after I was did sober, it? yeah. But I wasn't dealing with the love and sex stuff yet, which is why I got HIV while I was sober. And then you said it on stage, didn't you? Mm -hmm. You had meltdown, right? Exactly, with Hercules yeah. and Love Affair. Because Andy had asked me to dig deep, and... You know, I wrote a song about that I, that I felt sad that I couldn't love myself enough not to go into that destructive behavior that gave me that disease. 
indulge in that destructive behavior. That's it's like a luxury in this world too, to indulge in destructive behavior when little babies are being born with HIV, you know, by the millions in Africa who never have a choice about indulging in destructive behavior. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, yes, you have had a tough time of it, and yes, there are issues and everything, but this is what Grey Tickle's Black Pressure is about. It's about getting perspective. It's like, yes, your problems are serious, and they do need to be dealt with, with love and compassion from you and the people around you. But also, let's look at what's going on out there in this world. I don't think you should ever minimize or belittle your own problems, but to have perspective is a great thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I think all those things yeah. lead to, to gratitude, you know, and empathy yes. and yes. love. I mean, looking outwards rather than looking inwards, I think. Of course. That's what we need to be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it makes it so much easier. But you do have to do some looking in to be able to get to that stage, I think. Yeah, so that you can look out. Do you... Like RuPaul says, because if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Don't, don't, because I'm slightly obsessed. I actually can't even go there. I could, I could weep. It's amazing. He's amazing. And you know what? That show, RuPaul's Drag Race, is one of the most heart-wrenching, incredible things I've ever seen. The stories that you've seen on that show, the, the journeys that people are going through, the shit you see people going through, I think that show is incredible, I have to say. I completely agree with you. I think it's like, I find it really moving. I find it, it's actually really helped me with my recovery because I hear these stories that are really inspiring, you know? And I'm sitting there thinking, fuck's sake, it's RuPaul's Drag Race. It but is, it's really it, fucking good. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's not just some reality show, that's for sure. He's an amazing, amazing man. I agree. Do people ask you a lot about HIV? Sometimes, yeah. I think it's great. Ask away, you know? I mean, there's, there's shame there that doesn't, need to, that doesn't need to be. You know, that there's like feeling dirty and feeling unloved. I mean, luckily I met somebody who embraces everything about me and doesn't care. Of course, we have to be careful. Yeah. It pisses me off that I can't have unprotected anal sex anytime I want to. It really does. Because I, I, I have a problem with condoms. But you know, it was an avoidable problem. And I have to deal with that, you know, every day. Have you forgiven yourself for that? I don't know. I don't think so. I think I'm, I think I'm working on it. I'm aware that I, that I must. I think I'm on the road to forgiving myself. Mm. But I, I feel a lot of guilt and a lot of shame because I suppose it wasn't avoidable because it happened, but I mean, it didn't need to happen. And that's what that song, I Tried to Talk to You, the, the Hercules and Love Affair mm. song was about. It was about the sorrow that I feel because I couldn't connect with myself enough to realize what was going on. And the sex and love addiction stuff, I hope people will talk about that more because it's very real. Yeah. But sometimes I just think, Fuck, can I have anything? You know, sugar is worse than crack. Oh, f yeah. Sugar's worse than crack. Yeah. Fucking everybody you can get your hands on isn't quite working out for me. You know, drink, cocaine. Cocaine was fun, but then the whole suicide thing three weeks after it didn't quite work out for me. And, you know, just, it's like, can I have anything? <laughs> I know, can I say, I feel guilty because it's like once I disseminated things that I used to avoid stuff, I then 
saw everything and I was like, come on now, you need to give up coffee now. You know, I smoke. William, you yeah. need to go to the gym and yeah. stop smoking. I fucking, I've just fucking, Quit compulsive I, spending on Amazon.com. Yes. Quit. I refuse to quit that. How dare you? Um, so do I. I want, oh, my God. You better fucking believe it. And I refuse to not go to Foils tomorrow and spend 600 pounds. Yes. Yeah. I... Foiled again. <laughs> on books, but you see, I think you'll read them. You'll read those I books. I will, eventually, you? once I stop touring every three minutes. And I take all, I take like... 25 pounds of books with me on the plane and then I sit in my chair on the plane staring straight ahead into space like <laughs> but I think it's a comfort <laughs> it's a comfort I'm not gonna stop so I don't no. give a shit you know who paid the bill? Uh, I knew you were gonna say that I was just thinking that as well I think Fiona, his manager, did. Really? Who is the loveliest woman, can I just say? Is she? Yeah, she really is the loveliest woman. Because she pays for stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what I loved about John. Yeah. Is that most pop stars are crazy. Yeah. They just are. Yeah. They are crazy. Mm. They haven't worked on their own shit. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's worked on his shit. And, and that's why I really like it. We really want to know what you thought of that conversation, all of our conversations. We want this to be a conversation. Should I say conversation again? So please get in touch via Twitter. Tweet at Will Young. C'est moi. Please use the hashtag homo sapiens. Hashtag homo sapiens. Or send us an email to hello at homo sapienspodcast.com. We would really like to hear from you. One of the things I have been really looking forward to to do with the celebrations of the decriminalisation of homosexuality was the queer British art at the Tate. So we we thought we'd tweet a question, which is, which piece of LGBT art has moved you in your life? I think the first bit of art that really spoke to me was... The one that comes to mind is a Joan Armstrong song called Everyday Boy. Yeah, and it was written about someone talking about his boyfriend who had HIV and how the boyfriend's mother was disgusted by him and he was saying how he forgave her and the song's all about that it's an amazing mm. song yeah amazing yeah and Alexis Carrington's and shoulder pads yes yeah and when Alexis and Crystal have the fight going down the stairs yeah that's amazing oh my god Alexis. I remember but that was the first time you've made me think of that was the first time I felt sassy watching that fight. I was like, you know, that kind of, you go, girl. Yeah, you that, get it. And whatever that feeling is, that's the first time I ever felt like that. What's your first piece of art that spoke to you in an LGBT way? Now, Jay Lennon has got back to us with Two Policemen Kissing by Banksy. Oh, yes. Love that. That's a really good one. Yeah. The Kissing Coppers. And do you remember that real life policeman who proposed to his boyfriend at Pride? That yes. Was lovely. Yes. No, I remember last year. That was so lovely. Do you know where it is? This uh, two policemen kissing. Um, I'm going to make up that it's in Bristol. Is it? That's where he's from, isn't it? Banksy, who is allegedly the guy from Massive Attack. No. I'd love it if it was someone like Claire Balding or just <laughs> uh, Scott Flashheart, who is at Unlikely Lad. Honestly, question mark. A photo from a porn shoot. Two boys nude kissing in a field. The first time I'd seen two guys out in the open, happy and unashamedly enjoying their sexuality. I love that. It's a bit of an eye-opener. I actually think that's really cool. I really do. Hello, my name is Nate, has tweeted us, first kiss by Tatia Plivia. I don't think I'm saying her name right. 
First kiss was that thing which was a video that went viral recently and it was people um, who'd never met being asked to kiss on camera. Oh yes, I have seen this. Look at that, they're going for it. Would you be good at this if you had to kiss someone you didn't know? I'd be shy. I've had to do it. I've had to do it on camera. Who did you kiss? Well, it was good because I could pick. I I went into the um, casting director's thing the week before and just picked. Picked the best looking person. (laughs) What was it for? It was for a drama. He was just there to be kissed, so it wasn't like they all auditioned just to, just to get that across. Oh, I don't remember this. It was called Bedlam. Oh, was it in Bedlam? Yeah. yeah, and then we went on a date, and I was getting in the cab home, and I went to the cab office, and so, like, we had a kiss off screen, and uh, we were like, yeah, we'll go home, and then went to the cab, and they went, uh, sorry, can I, uh, yeah, sorry, can I just get a shag to, I mean, sorry, a cab, <laughs> please, to... Really? Yeah, we didn't didn't meet again. Andrew Goodhead at Penjekul. How about thinking just about art rather than giving it a label? What makes art LGBT? Art isn't LGBT unless you want to claim imagery. Come on, lighten up, Andrew. We're just talking about pieces that have affected the LGBT community. For example, when I saw David Hockney's work for the first time and the boys coming out the pool, I thought it was really transgressive to have an image like that in mainstream media and it allowed me to see the sexuality of a man standing in a mainstream gallery with my parents around me. And that's rare. Yeah, and I can take his point, actually. But I see what he's saying. Oh, here we go. Under Rug Swept, which might be a pseudonym for a member of Will's family. Mm. Visual or any medium, many, but cabaret as a child was hugely formative for me. Will is uh, available to be seen in cabaret yes, over I the am. coming months. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Will, what's your dates there? I think the dates are... I don't know what the dates are, but... Um, <laughs> come along Kareem which is at Kareem Belfon said Paris is Burning was a big one for me oh, you only watched that recently really amazing and then I went on eBay and bought about five um, original 70s tracksuits from a <laughs> time to say goodbye um, thank you for listening to episode two of Homo Sapiens please if there's one thing you need to do this week... It's not do your laundry. Yeah, don't bother feeding the cat. Um, rate and, and review, review this podcast, because yeah. if we're going to be Kirsty at Desert <laughs> Island Discs, we need the reviews. And also, if people rate and review, we don't have to resort to the Plan B PR stunt, which is wicked streaking. By the way... People don't streak anymore. Why? Why? I know, because I actually thought for my next record, I was going to streak. For my last record, I thought, I'll just, I'll just go to a big sporting event. That's um, Like, what do they do? The snooker at the Crucible. And, um, and streak. You've got to watch out for cues. I was going to say, know, that's painful. But no one streaks anymore. I remember watching football and rugby and people would always streak. What if you could do like slow streaking so instead of it like racing across a pitch it's like you just do your waitress shot <laughs> but naked. <laughs> have you enjoyed yourself, William? Yes, I have. Oh, um, which is why I'm now going to sing the new Homo Sapiens jingle. <gasps> Homo Sapiens The best place to be Closer, Closer each day, day. Homo sapiens. There's there's no rights issue with that, is there? Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Powered by Spirit Studios.